When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now, Alistair Gold is now back in the UK following two weeks away in Australia, Thailand and Singapore. And it's fair to say quite a lot has happened in the world of Tottenham Hotspur over the past 14 days. Ali, good to be back. Yes, yes. Um, it was absolutely mad. It was just one of the craziest tours I've ever been a part of. And, you know, we've, we've done a fair few with, with London, haven't we? We've kind of been here, there and everywhere with Spurs across the world, across Europe. I don't think as much has happened in a small amount of time <laughs> to Tottenham. You know, I... I I wrote a piece uh, towards the end of the tour when we all kind of woke up to the Joe Lewis news. Um, obviously, we need to stress former Spurs owner. Tottenham are very clear that that has to be stressed like that. And to be fair, it's true. He is a former Spurs owner. But I uh, I wrote a piece and I referred to it as the Tottenham Hotspur soap opera. It's fair to say that didn't go down too well with the club. Um, <laughs> they weren't a massive fan of the term soap opera. But come on, if there's anyone in football, any club right now that feels like it's a soap opera, it's Tottenham. I I was just kind of sitting down and thinking about it when I was writing that article. Um, And just alone, four head coaches, what, in the past six months? Um, Obviously, you could go through the number of managers they've had beyond that in the last four years. You've had fan protests. You've had the Conte meltdown. You've had director, managing director of football who's banned from football <laughs> and managing, um, but yet has returned in a consultancy capacity. You've had po- uh, Pochettino, not, had no one picked up the phone to him to come back when everyone wanted him back, his name being sung in the crowd. We had um, a German reporter holding aloft a Harry Kane shirt in a press conference saying, looks good. No, that was weird in itself. We've had a straight-talking Australian, Apostokoglu, comes in, yet not given one of the key positions he asked for right off the bat, centre-back. We've had Scott Munn, the club's chief football officer. Um, He's going to start on July the 1st, everyone. Uh, No, he's not, (laughs) because the City Group have not allowed that to happen. Uh, we've had the club's captain asking to leave. Hugo Lloris has wanted to leave the club. We've got the club's biggest star faced with a completely uncertain future, which we will maybe find out more as today rolls on amid all of that noise from Bayern Munich as well. And then you chuck on top of that, we've had a tour that had uh, a rained-off match. The first time ever in Tottenham Hotspur preseason history a match has been called off. We've had one of Spurs' opponents drop out and they had to play a local side at late notice. Um, it's just incredible. I, and honestly, I'm sorry, but even in training, you had uh, Tongi Ondembele the night before his first game, picked up an ankle injury. We watched him get it, which essentially 
maybe it, it could be, we'll talk about it later, it could be the end of Tongi's chances under Postacoglu. Just one little moment actually could have let Lo Celso in the door and he becomes the one sliding doors moment. Even poor uh, young Alfie Whiteman went down with a, what looked like a very um, nasty ankle injury. And I'm sorry if the club, you know, <laughs> have got the time on their hands to be upset about the term soap opera, despite everything I've just said, I'm sorry. Uh, I think they may be misplacing their time and then using it in the wrong ways because there's a lot of stuff to fix at Tottenham Hotspur. And to be honest, and I know we're going to go right into talking about this, if Harry Kane heads out of that Tottenham Hotspur door this summer, then that is the biggest indication that it's not even just a soap opera. It's just become a farce, quite frankly, because it shows how many different decisions that the club have taken that have led to the point that one of their own, the probably, let's be honest, maybe one of, if not the best player they've ever had. And I know they've had some incredible players. But if he feels he needs to go to Germany and the Bundesliga to fulfil his ambitions, unfortunately, that would say everything about what's happened at the club in recent years. I'm sure there's a few bits you probably missed out as well yeah. in this soap opera. Literally, nothing is ever straightforward in the world of Tottenham Hotspur. So let's get started. Anyway, we are going to touch on the touring a bit. I mean, there's just so much to discuss, but we will start with uh, the Harry Kane transfer saga. First of all, as obviously Daniel Levy and Bayern Munich officials are due to meet. Uh, this week regarding a potential deal. Well, I mean, we don't know which way it's going to go at the moment. I mean, Ali, your gut feeling? Do you know what? that That's what I would say. Coming back from the tour, I went away before the tour kind of thinking, oh, what a load, load of noise from Germany. Oh, you know, you kind of think of the classic stereotypical German, I don't know what people will say, the stereotype of Germany is maybe like an arrogance, a confidence. I don't know how to describe it. Um, we just kind of assumed it was that and it's like, all right, we'll put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. And I just felt like over the course of the tour, my mind kind of, that became more diluted. I just think there's so many people at Spurs that just didn't seem to know which way it was going to go. And that says a lot. And I think the fact that they're even holding discussions with Bayern rather than just going, no, you're right. And just telling them like, sending them some, some empty warehouse full of like Harry Kane shirts, Spurs shirts. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> they rock up and just like, ah, I gotcha. Um, I just, yeah, it, it could go either way. And that's the sense you get from any of the players we spoke to. Um, even Postacoglu didn't seem to entirely know which way it was going to go. Um, you know, he kept saying, well, nothing's been put on my desk. I've got no decision to make over it kind of thing. Um, cause I suppose ultimately, I guess he would have to have a decision in it as well. It's all very well as saying kind of, you know, Daniel Levy, the club, have to accept a bid first and then Harry Kane has to accept a bid. But what if Postacoglu made a real stand? I don't, I'll be honest, I don't think he will because I think if he, if a player really truly wanted to leave and the club were open to him leaving, I don't think Postacoglu would say, oh, please stay. I don't get the impression he's that kind of guy. But technically, he kind of he has to have a say in it as well. Otherwise, the whole point of a, a head coach is, is made redundant, really. Sorry, I shouldn't use head coach and redundant uh, when it comes to Tottenham. <laughs> too much of that. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely don't know. I don't know how this day will go. Um, there's, I saw there's some early talk that of the kind of limits that Bayern might go to, and there's talk that maybe they won't go as any further than seventy five million, which I just think is ridiculous. Um, you know, and. 
every every day we're seeing new fees that are going out there for new for different players in the transfer window. Every single one of them for me, Daniel Levy must be looking at surely and going. Uh, well, even Harry Kane is last year of his contract's worth way more than that because you know you're buying someone that guarantee. I I genuinely think, and this may well be part of Harry Kane's argument or thoughts. If Bayern buy Harry Kane, I think Bayern win the Champions League. I, th- I think they probably do because I think he's that good. And to an already top Champions League competing team, I think he would probably be the missing part of their puzzle. Um, but if from the Tottenham perspective, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I just I've, I know there's this line of logic and I see I think more people are coming around to it of if he wants to go, then at least take the money. But I'm sorry. Have you seen how Spurs spend money? This is the ridiculous thing about it, is that everyone's like, spend the money, Tottenham. When Spurs spend the money, they're rubbish. <laughs> they're actually better with the deals that surprise you and the deals that kind of uh, everyone thinks, oh, what a bargain that turned out to be. That's actually the better Spurs deal. When they spend a load of money, they're pants. Let's be honest. Um, I mean, they may still come good, but Tongi and Lo Celso are the two key points. You know, both of them have spent most of their Spurs careers away from Spurs. Even Richarlison, really hoping he comes good. 60 million last summer, one Premier League goal. I'm not entirely sure in what world people think that Spurs are going to get, I don't know, let's say 80, 100 million, whatever, for Harry Kane, and they're going to go, we shall invest this wisely in, <laughs> in a new striker and central defenders. No, they won't. It will be absolutely put on chances you know maybes possibilities whereas with harry kane is a guarantee even and and i know it's not my money so i'm being very loose and liberal with someone else's money but i would keep harry kane for the last year of his contract i don't get the impression he'd kick up a fuss have any issue with it he would just see that he'll be a free agent in a year's time and i think spurs would be a tenfold a better team with harry kane in it for the next season and who knows he might just love playing in a Postacoglu team and might sign a new deal late in the year. I, I just, I said at the top of this, I just feel if he goes, it says everything about the mess that the club kind of has made of where it was. Because people could point to the fact of, I don't know, Kyle Walker in the past, Gareth Bale, uh, Berbatov, Modric, other players in the past that have left for huge money. They've been the star player. They've gone to to big clubs. What I would say at all of those points, Spurs were at a level where you couldn't really argue with it. It was like, okay, fair enough. But Spurs, with Kane in the side, have been there or thereabouts ready to push on to the next level for him. And they just have never done it. And if he goes, the club will have failed him. It'll be the biggest indication that the club will have failed him. And to be honest, they'll have failed against the fans as well because they're losing one of the most... Well, one of the best players I've ever watched, but one of the players that's probably given everyone the most enjoyment over the years. Um, And it'll be so, so sad. Honestly, uh, I know there was a lot of kind of anger towards the board that started to grow last season. But I think the people that are saying, oh, just sell him and reinvest the money, I actually think it'll be worse next season. I think if Harry Kane goes, only because I think they'll make a mess of what they'll do with the money. The only person, the only shred of hope or the, the thing I can cling on to if Harry Kane were to leave is Postacoglu. I think he's the one person because at least he's got um, experience in rebuilding teams. Um, was it at Celtic? Was it Edouard left, wasn't it? it was yeah, like, yeah, he was yeah. their main striker. I think yeah. quite a lot of their top players uh, when I think Ryan Christie was another one. And yeah, he completely re- rebuilt like he has done yeah. at his other clubs. 
absolutely. It's, it's yes, it's different levels, but it's the same philosophy. Um, and yeah, if there's anything I can cling on to, it's Postacoglu, and I think that Spurs will still be a good, fun team to watch. But I just think the Postacoglu team with Kane in it is something special. Um, and I would be genuinely gutted, absolutely gutted, if he were to leave. He'll have been the all-time top scorer at Spurs. You know, he'll have achieved wonderful individual things with Spurs. But ultimately, he would leave having not accomplished what he wanted to do at Tottenham, and that was to win trophies. And I just think, oh, I'd be gutted. I can't. I can't even think. I'm. I'm off this week, um, which probably means something massive will happen. Um, but. I know when I return, the article I'm going to have to write if he does go is probably going to be one of the saddest articles I've ever had to write. And it will be laced with so much disappointment and annoyance that the club allowed it to get to this situation, that their star player would run out a six-year contract. Six years and never felt like, yeah, maybe I'd like to renew because I can see we're going in a good direction. Absolutely shocking. What do you reckon? I don't know how it's going to uh, pan out this week. Uh, I've said it before on the podcast, Kane moving to Bayern Munich for me just smacks of moving for the sake of moving. Whereas if he hangs on for another 12 months, he's going to have well, the pick six of... Months. Yeah, he's going to talk to foreign clubs. Yeah. He can. He's going to have the pick of the clubs because you know if he's available on the free transfer, everyone's going to want to uh, sign him. So... I've I've no idea how it's going to pan out, but the fact that there are discussions going to be taking place this week does hint at a potential deal uh, in the offing. But I think it's one of these where you've just got to probably speak. Uh, Tottenham have to speak with Bayern because there could be a point in the future where Tottenham want to buy a Munich player. And if basically Daniel leaving the club shut off all negotiations for a potential Kane deal, that could have repercussions further forward if Spurs want someone from you Bayern mean like Munich. like if Spurs were to ever appoint a new chief football officer from Bayern Munich, they might not let him go on the start date. Is that what you're, you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> potentially. Uh, yeah. So, 2021 all over again. Yeah, it's... Uh, I just... I've no idea how it's uh, gone to pan out, but I think the one thing for me is Spurs need to do what's best for... Ange Postacoglu in this situation because, to be honest, is a bit of a circus, this Harry Kane transfer saga. I mean, it's not just in the background at the moment for Postacoglu, who's, you know, coming to the club and trying to uh, implement his football philosophy and get Tottenham back up the league table. You know, he's at the forefront. I think it was his very first press conference. It was the third question. Harry Kane and Ange joked at the time, oh, basically we had, uh, you know, the coaching staff were guessing which question it had been. I think it was Mila Yedinak who said it'd be the third one. And then I think, was it his first press conference in Australia? Yeah. Kane, Kane was the first question and Ange was asked. So, six questions were all Harry Kane. Yes, it was oh, So it's the first <laughs> question now. So, I mean, he's got to be six of the back teeth of it. Yeah. Uh, it it's, it's no good for him. At the moment, he's trying to, you know, build this entertaining, attacking Tottenham team and Harry Kane, his main player, could potentially be going. So what he's been trying to build so far could just change instantly uh, this week. So I'm just, I'm not sure. Uh, I think Ange just needs clarity. Uh, 
and centre backs. <laughs> and centre backs <laughs> would be very helpful. Yeah, but I mean, th- there is going to become a point where Harry Kane goes and Tottenham are going to have to build uh, away from him at some point, whether it's this summer, next summer, or a few years down the line. Uh, Spurs just need to nip it in the bud because. It is literally just dominating all of this yeah. pre-season Make talk. A yeah, and the set fact- a price if you want to sell him, or yeah. just say we don't want to sell him. Yeah, or, and a deadline. Did you see that about Bayern? Apparently, general reports are saying Bayern was setting a deadline. <laughs> but, uh, hello, I don't think that's the way it works. <laughs> but the thing is, it can just rumble on and carry on and carry on. The only way it's going to stop is if Daniel Levy says to him in the meeting today, either. Harry Kane is not for sale at any price or they agree on the deal because, or he signs a new contract because if he remains at Tottenham beyond the end of August and doesn't sign the contract, he's literally just going to be dominating talk until he moves uh, the start of next July. So I just feel really, really sorry for Ange Postacoglu in this situation and I think he just needs nipping in the bud. Yeah, it really does. I mean, oh, it's just, it's just, and the other thing I was going to ask you as well is because I had heard that this was happening with centre backs. Everyone, the whole world knows Spurs are looking for centre backs. So centre back prices are kind of creeping up. What do you reckon it'll be like if the world knows Spurs are looking for a new striker <laughs> and they've got 100 million, let's say, burning a hole in their pocket? Yeah, this is the problem now because as soon as if Kane goes and uh, Spurs get, I don't know, 90 million plus, every club who Tottenham are looking at buying the defender from or a striker, they're just going to add X amount of millions on top. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, it would have been nice to have the centre-backs in place now, but... It's Tottenham. It's not happened so far. Uh, it needs to happen. It's ridiculous. It's but, ridiculous. I, I get the other three players brought in were, were yeah, good, yeah. opportunistic signings, and I think all of them would do very well. I was really impressed with pretty much all of them in different ways on the tour. But for Ange actually admitted to me in one of the interviews that centre-back and goalkeeper were the two priorities that he pointed out. So for both not to have been among the first three signings is mad. It really is. Yeah, obviously there's been reports of Spurs having a bit of an interest in uh, Matisse Tell uh, from Bayern as well. So maybe if Bayern aren't willing to go over 75 million, did they offer 75 plus Tell? I don't know. I mean, he's only a young lad, 18 years old, signed from Wren last season. Uh, I think he's got six goals in like 20 plus appearances. Uh, quite a lot was off the bench. He certainly won for the future, but whether he's won who can come in and have an impact at Tottenham right now, uh, I don't know. I know Ange was speaking after the Lion City Sailors game about Rich Allison and Kane, both obviously strikers he likes, having good attributes. Is I mean, is Rich Allison in Ange's system? Does he have more of the attributes uh, than Kane? I know if Kane's in this Postacoglu team who have had 69 shots on goal in two games. He's going to score goals for fun. But could it be a situation where the team, maybe if Richarlison's leading the line, plays better? Maybe. <gasps> How dare you? No, I know what you mean. I do. and it, But it's such a difficult line to tread here, isn't it? It's like, we don't want to veer into the Spurs are better with Harry, without Harry Kane, yeah, because I don't yeah. think they are. But I know what you mean in that 
he loves Richarlison Postacoglu. Honestly, he has raved about him. And he is. He admits himself, yes, he's the kind of guy that more naturally fits my system. But quite frankly, Harry Kane fits in any system. Harry Kane can make any system work. But yes, I do think Richarlison... The key thing for Richarlison is he'd have to be better in front of goal. Obviously, got a hat trick, but we have to caveat that with this. It was Lion City Sailors. We've we've no disrespect to them, but they are you know third place Singapore Premier League side. They're not a Premier. Well, technically, they could say we are a Premier <laughs> League side. Um, but yeah, it, it's, he's no Harry Kane, um, and I don't mean that in meant to be in a horrible way. But he's just not. Harry Kane is one of the world's best strikers. Richarlison is the main striker for one of the world's best countries, nations in terms of football. He is Brazil's number nine. Um, I don't think anyone would claim, or he would even claim he's on Harry Kane's level, but certainly the Postacoglu system could get a better version of him. Absolutely. Um, I would I would hope, well, let's be honest, I think you could see a much worse Richarlison than you got last year under Conte. So I think he would certainly do that. Um, but I still think they'd need to sign a striker. Either way, I think you need a, another one um, to compete with him, to push him. I wonder whether they end up... Personally, and this is just opinion, this isn't based on anything, but I wonder if they were to sell Harry Kane, whether they put all of that money into two big centre-backs rather than one big centre-back and one cheaper one, and they put some money towards a young striker as who's like a, an up-and-coming one who can kind of... Uh, I guess, slightly rotate with Richarlison and then maybe eventually kind of really offer him some competition. I wonder whether that's the way they go. If Ange said, well, no, that's my priority is more the centre-backs, but it should have all been done at this point. This is a ridiculous thing. It's, you know, I see people getting very angry about the centre-back situation and, and I kind of understand it because it was identified so early. Players have been identified so early as well. And it's just, here we are. And even Ange said, I asked him, do you expect a a new centre-back options by the time you play your first Premier League game? Yes, obviously, that's what we're going for. That's what we're working on. And it's like, what have they got now? 13 days, is it? Something like that? It's just, come on. And yes, they may well still hopefully get someone in before that point, but they haven't had the time to work with Postacoglu, and it's just so crucial. I think we'll see Madison. I think Madison, as long as no injuries, will start the season flying. And I think it's because he's had all of this time with Postacoglu. I think Madison's going to be a huge signing. I think we've kind of, in the annoyance of the centre-backs, I think we've kind of slightly gone away from actually how good a signing Madison can be for Postacoglu and Spurs. Um, I thought he was terrific on tour. But I know we're going to talk about the tour, so I won't delve into that right yet. But um, we shall see what happens with Harry Kane. I've just literally, as we're recording this, watched the video of the Bayern officials turning up at the airport to fly. I was like, I don't think they're tinted windows. I don't think they were all wearing Kane number nine shirts, <laughs> Bayern Munich shirts. But it wouldn't surprise me the way this got. I don't. I have never seen a club so openly and brazenly spoken about that they're going to get someone else's player. As in, when it comes to Spurs, I think we've maybe seen it before with other clubs. But when it's with Spurs, I think maybe there's been a... I wouldn't say a fear of Levy, but a knowledge that if you go down that route, you're stuffing yourself a bit because he'll dig his heels in even more. So like when Man U was signing Berbatov, I don't remember Ferguson coming out or anyone or anyone from United saying, yep, we're signing Berbatov. Get ready. Spurs just have to name their price and we'll buy him. 
And it's like some of the stuff come out from Hoonus, which is weird. It was like, yeah, they have to sell him. They have to name their price, and then we'll start working from there. It was the weirdest way of talking about a transfer. But they're not stopping. It's like verbal diarrhea. Every day there seems to be some new thing from some official at Bayern Munich. And yeah, I know they're going to be spoken. They're going to be asked a question. I get that. And we had to ask uh, Postacoglu about some of the aspects of Kane as well, because it's kind of what people wanted to know about. But you don't always have to reply. You know, you don't have to. Spurs are actually quite good about not talking about other clubs' teams. I don't know why Bayern suddenly felt like they had to. And also, whether it is the case or not. But when there's been claims about the player being tapped up in certain German media, although they didn't use the word tapping up, they just went, hey, was it too cool? Rocked up in his house and they had a chat and stuff like that. And it's like, you realize what you're reporting right here. You're, you're suggesting, and I know it goes on everywhere, and I'm sure very many clubs in the world have done it uh, or have spoken to players before. Um, you know, we, we've had this summer about Postacoglu speaking about to various players before they've actually signed you would hope that that's after the selling club have given permission. You'd, you'd, you'd hope. But you, know, you just don't know in football the way it works and the way around it all goes. But uh, I've just been stunned by the way Bayern have operated. And Bayern are a team that I've always quite liked. They're, they're a good club, good fans. Um, obviously a massive kind of uh, European Champions League power they can be as well. Um I still don't understand why Kane would want to go to the Bundesliga. There's no no disrespect to Bundesliga, but I'm sorry. But dropping out of the Premier League to go to a league that, while a good league, is just not watched around the world as much. Essentially, we will all know Harry Kane mainly if he goes to Bayern through his Champions League appearances. The world will see Harry Kane in the Champions League. The world will not tune in week in, week out to the Bundesliga. And I'm sorry, that's that's I like the Bundesliga. I like watching it. But it is not a globally watched league like the Premier League is. And it's not a globally watched team Bayern as uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid is. It's, I think you said it earlier, it feels like a I just have to get out kind of move if he accepts it, rather than really waiting till next year and properly going to any club in the world. Um, I think he'll do great there. I think Harry Kane will do great anywhere. Harry Kane could sign for a team at the bottom of the Premier League and probably get them up into the top six next season. I don't think he has to worry about where he goes in respect of how well he'll do. Um, I mean, essentially Spurs finished eighth because of Harry Kane. God knows where they would have been without him last season. Um, I just, yeah, as you can tell, as everyone can probably tell listening to this, it's frustrating the hell out of me, the situation and how it's been allowed to even get to this point is ridiculous ridiculous and a massive indictment on the club i'm afraid then in terms of like what you're just on about now just the viewing figures in terms of the people who watch the bundesliga la league is ahead of the bundesliga yeah. by far and i'd probably say Serie A as well yeah yeah and yeah. uh also on Bayern being incredibly vocal i think he's probably just that's the way the deal because they're so used to getting their own way in the transfer yeah. market. I mean, look at the amount of players they've signed from Bundesliga clubs before. When a player has a really good, you know, few seasons at a top Bundesliga club, their next move is buying. They signed Lewandowski from Dortmund when Dortmund were flying under Klopp. Uh, Uber Meccano, Sibitzer as well. They're more recent additions from RB Leipzig. So I think 
that's just buying. They're just used to getting the way, and they probably think, mm. well, if Verkel will end up getting uh, Kane, and 100%, I know what'll happen if Kane goes, Spurs will win a trophy. Yeah, it's <laughs> it isn't bound it? to happen. It, it, it is just the FA is. Cup or something, yeah. I mean, they have already won the Tiger Cup this season, don't forget. Yeah, and we are <laughs> going to discuss quite a bit more about that game in a bit, but just one more thing on Kane uh, before yeah. we go on to the tour. Obviously, he had two weeks uh, abroad, Australia, Singapore, Thailand. What was Harry Kane like on the tour? Um, good question, sir. That is a good question because I saw different sides to him. And that's not to say like he was horrible or anything like that. It was more in training and among the other players, he was given 100%. Honestly, he was throwing himself into challenges, everything. He wasn't a player worried about injuring himself. He fully committed to the Postacoglu way. Um, he was really getting into that. Um, it was quite interesting to see in matches he was dropping back less a lot. There wasn't much of him coming deep. He knew Madison was there. He was sticking quite high up as the focal point. Um, yeah, he was very happy. Looked to be joking and and enjoying himself with it. You know, he was the captain on the tour really with Loris back at home. He had these blacked out boots. We're going to have a new uh, Harry Kane boot deal, which I think will be announced quite soon, I reckon, because uh, his deal, I understand it, for with Nike has come to a close and, and we're set to find out who this new uh, boot supplier is. Um, seeing lots of kind of speculation as to who it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see when this one comes out, um, how the reaction is going to be to that one. Um and the other side to him, like I say, it's not like some kind of nefarious villainous side I saw to him. It was more, we went to an event in Singapore um, where it was, it was there, it was Harry, Eric Dyer, Alfie Devine, Alfie Whiteman, and someone else. Josh, Josh Keeley. Josh Keeley, that was yep. it. Yes, the young goalkeeper. Um, and they were all there and they were, Working or kind of painting with these young, um, underprivileged children at the Children's Wishing Well charity in Singapore. It's lovely, it's such a lovely place. It was like a, a bit like a preschool kind of vibe to it, but for children that might not have had those opportunities, uh, if the charity kind of hadn't gotten them involved. Um, and so these Spurs players turned up, did some little painting, painting the Spurs badge and things like that. And, and Harry was among them. And it was the first time that, other than training, where we're, we're slightly separated from them. We were very much, I don't know, three, four, five foot away from everything that was happening. And he was very polite to us, very like, hello, and, and kind of obviously kind of roughly probably knows who we are from over the years of speaking to him. Um, but there were a couple of moments when we were standing, or certainly myself at points was standing, there was only two of us there, journalists, where he was standing very close and maybe like one of the children he was working with went away. And I think at any other point, Harry, being the very pleasant person he is, would have turned around, just had a little chat, just a bit of small talk, like, you know, how's your tour being kind of thing. Just obviously couldn't do that. He was restricted by by himself more than anything because I think he knew that anything he said could maybe be taken in a way he would be, oh, look, you know, we're not those kind of journalists that were on this tour. We, were, we wouldn't twist anything he said, anything like that. But yeah, he, he kind of kept this professional distance from us. Um, and obviously Spurs, he was never put up for interview at all during um, after matches or any of the events. Um, 
which obviously is a shame for us because it'd be nice to know what his thoughts are. But I can also understand that he doesn't want to be put in that situation right now when it's the word that I just kept getting heard. Get the word I kept being the word that kept being said about the Harry Kane situation was delicate, and that was it. And that sums it up well, really. It's nobody knows which way it's going to go because it's down to Bayern to put in the kind of bid that would even get them to start talking. And Harry Kane himself, Harry Kane can't come out and go, I want to leave like Harry, uh, like Hugo Lloris did because it's just a different situation. Someone to get Harry Kane out of the club has to spend a big amount of money. And it does him no favours to come out and say, I want to leave because then if he does say he's got a whole year of the fans probably not being particularly delighted with him because of that. Um, and the, the very much the message from around him was always that all options are still open. If there's a bid accepted, I'll look at moving. If there's a... No bid accepted, then potentially, yeah, could see out the last year of my deal. And if if I love the football, then why not? A new contract in the year. That's always kind of been the feeling around him and from people around him. So, but yeah, it was interesting seeing him on the tour and how comfortable he still is around his friends and teammates, but how there was just this little bit extra awkwardness around the media, which is something with Harry, who's very well media trained and there's no fears of talking to the media. It was interesting to see that side, yeah. Right. Before we get on to the Lion City Sailors game, Ali, do you want to let everyone know the benefits of using NordVPN? Absolutely. Well, if you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth, thrott- bandwidth throttling. That's a difficult phrase to say, that is. Um, I had no bandwidth throttling when I was on the tour because I was able to use uh, NordVPN to kind of watch things from back home that I otherwise, for some reason, due to country's restrictions, you wouldn't normally be allowed to watch, but you've paid for them. So I don't understand why you wouldn't be able to watch them anyway. And not only that, but the outlay on the NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So let's say you could book flights from other countries because they could be cheaper as well, which means you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There are a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, let's discuss the 5-1 win over Lion City Sailors. Then obviously Tottenham losing the first game on the tour, 3-2. Then there was that cancellation of the Leicester game uh, following that biblical reign in Thailand. And then, yeah, originally supposed to be taking on Roma until they changed the plans. So it was Lion City Sailors, the last opponents for Tottenham. In Singapore, they went 1-0 down early on. Harry Kane then convert, converting from the penalty spot on the stroke of half-time. Richarlison helped himself to a hat-trick and there was also another Giovanni Lo Celso goal. Uh, lots and lots of positives to talk from uh, from the game, but I think we'll start with one of the negatives uh, and that was Tottenham going 1-0 down after about... 15 minutes and again I mean it just showed how easy and how poor uh, Spurs have been at the back I mean Pedro Porro certainly won't won't want to look back at the goal it was 
across from the right, swung in, and then uh, the attacker just got on Porro's shoulder. I don't think Porro knew he was really there and converted at the back post. And I mean, there's been a lot of question marks about Porro's defending anyway, especially towards the back end of last season, that absolute nightmare game at Newcastle. And then the following week, at Liverpool, so obviously in Ange's system, going from a back three and wing backs to a flat back four, you know, Porro and whoever's playing as right back or a left back defensively needs to be on it. And I think given what happened, and he did also have his struggles in the West Ham game, it might have given uh, Emerson the chance to nip ahead of him and possibly start this game against Brentford in 13 days' time. Absolutely. I don't know that if anyone needed further evidence at Tottenham Hotspur that Spurs maybe need some defenders <laughs> to come in through the door, it was conceding first against Lion City Sailors. Um, I'd Our former work colleague, Oliver Harbord, who currently lives in Singapore, kind of fully briefed me on Lion City Sailors before I arrived. And he pretty much made it clear that it would be like, a, like a, a, an FA Cup game against a team right down the leagues. And in no world should Spurs have any issue whatsoever. So obviously, as soon as they scored, I got a, a WhatsApp message going like, oh, like lol. It's <laughs> just like, how is that even able to happen against a team that is, I don't even know what level you would put them at, whether they'd be kind of League Two or non-league. I mean, it's, well, it's Spurs just... did have the issues against Markham, didn't they, in the it's FA Cup a few years ago? So yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, this isn't to disrespect Lion City Sailors because I actually felt they gave did themselves a lot of credit on the day. They, I think they were slightly helped by the fact that they're mid-season, so they were much sharper and quicker to the ball. You could see that. And Spurs actually struggled to play a lot of the kind of fast, quick football they did against West Ham. I do think that's also down to the fact that Postacoglu absolutely destroyed the players in the three days before with the training. They had double sessions, and he even admitted afterwards they were so leggy. Um, but to concede that first goal, and they were a, a Pape Matasar being tripped in the box away from not, uh, you know, from going in behind at half time to Lion City Sailors. They've got the best name ever, Lion City Sailors. I don't think I've ever had much joy, as much joy in writing an opposition name as saying, you know, and the Sailors score <laughs> and stuff like that. It's just, just madness. Um, and yeah, Poro. Uh, we interviewed Poro out there. We pretty much interviewed everyone on the tour, barring Kane. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else we didn't interview. Richarlison. A couple of lads maybe that would struggle translation-wise, although we did have um, a translator for a couple of them. But yeah, Poro's still to come that interview. Um, fortunately, I kind of felt it, like you said, it showed again he's still got so much work to do as a fullback. I think for Destiny Doggy, it's a much smoother transition because he's done that for under-21s. And I feel like it's a position he knows quite well. It wasn't the one he was playing for Udinese, but it is a role that he's played. Whereas with Porro, it almost feels alien at times to him. And again, we're talking earlier, I was talking about a damning indictment of decisions that have been made by the club over recent years. And I like Porro. He's a lovely guy and a very talented footballer. I still maintain maybe he'll be a better winger but we'll see how much defensive improvement he can make. But I'm sorry, but in terms of decisions, spending £40 million on a wing-back for a manager that the whole world knew was going in January still ranks as up there with some 
daft decisions that the club have made. Um, again, we could be doing a podcast in a year's time and we could laugh about me saying that and say, oh, I remember you said what a bad decision that was. What a player he is now. And I hope that's the case. But on paper, looking at it right now, buying a wing back for £40 million is just crazy. Because that was, what was it, deadline day of that transfer window. It was very clear that Conte was at the best staying till the end of the season and going. So to do a deal where you knew you had to spend the £40 million at the end of the season, just crazy. Um, but yeah, hopefully it goes out, comes out the other side. But I agree with you. I don't think... Postacoglu was asked about playing Udogi and Poro. Could he play them both? And he was like, oh yeah, I hope so. That's kind of exactly what I want. That's the profile. I think it might be suicide. Football suicide <laughs> right now, if that were to be the, the way they play. I think it will be one, one of those with either Emerson or Davies in each match to begin with, certainly. Um, because yeah, Poro... He was beaten by, was it the the cross? The ball went over his head against West Ham, wasn't it? He wasn't able to, was it for the Yeah, yeah. Goal? I don't think he... Yeah, yeah it was the second first, goal, was it the it? First one, he didn't close down Bowen enough. I think he left... He didn't close down Bowen. Bowen whipped the crossing and then uh, Ings got the better of Reguilón, the second one. Oh, yeah, they were switched, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Reguilón and Porro were switched around at that one, yeah. Yeah, and then the second one was the corner and I think Mubama got between Porro and... Tanganga. Someone else, yeah, Tanganga. Tanganga, yeah, I remember. Tanganga, who was rocking a headband in the last game, in the Sailors game. They must have whacked his head at some point. He had um, a bandage thing on. Um, yeah. Yeah, just honestly, the defence, it's just, it's mind-boggling. I just, I just can't understand why there's not a new player in the middle of that defence alongside Christian Romero. Ben Davies has been playing. This says everything about Postacoglu's, I think, feelings on the pecking order as well. He's been playing Ben Davies as a centre-back throughout the tour. And I asked him afterwards, like, after the, which one was it? It was either just, it might have been just before the Sailors game. Um, so, Ben Davies, he's, is he going to be a centre-back for you? Uh, nope. So he's, he can fill in there, but I think he's going to be a very, very good. He, he said he's a good centre back. Oh no, I think he said he's a. He can be a very good centre back if you need him to be, but he can be a very, very good left back for us. So it's like he's actually just playing him there ahead of Sanchez and Roden and Tanganga and Dyer definitely because of fitness as well. And if that doesn't scream, he wants a new centre back. <laughs> I just don't know what does. Oh, honestly, I just. I, I still, I think I'm still reeling from the fact that Spurs got funny about me saying it was a soap opera. It's it's one of the it's one of the most dramatic soap operas ever. If this was an actual TV show, it would have more viewers than anyone. Um, or saying that they are, they were following. There was a documentary team following them around actually on tour as well. So that'll be something that we see in the uh, the weeks ahead, and who that comes out with and who buys that. So uh, yeah, but definitely not a soap opera. Right, let's move on to the positives because <laughs> obviously we want to steer, steer you away from the defence yes. and the negatives because... Yes, I'm getting the, a bit ranty in this one. Yeah, there's uh, there were, once again, so many positives to take. And I think from the first half, Pape Matassar uh, was fantastic. James Madison has, as well. And I mean, they could be starting in the two number eight roles uh, for Postacoglu uh, for the Brentford game in 13 days' time. I think Madison definitely... Is <clears throat> starting in one of them. I don't know about the other between Sar and Lacelso at the moment, but Sar's more than made his case. Uh, this toys, 
you know, we saw glimpses of him last season uh, towards the turn of the year. And unfortunately, after that dominant performance against AC Milan in the Champions League, his minutes just seemed to dry up for some reason. But, you know, he's got all the qualities still raw, reminds me of Patrick Vieira. Uh, I think what we've seen from the tour is he loves a shot from distance. I think that was clear to see in the World Not Cup. Always a good one, but yeah, he does. And yeah, I mean, just his quality on the ball, gets it forward, has an impact in the final third. And I mean, he was so unlucky with that volley that struck the crossbar. But I mean, it's good play from him to win the penalty as well. I think he is someone Ange Postacoglu can take to another level and he can be a serious, serious player for the club. Yeah, and the good thing about Postacoglu, he's a straight talker. So if we ask him about a player... You know, God, do you remember under Nuno when I couldn't even or we couldn't ask Nuno about a player, an individual, because he wouldn't talk about an individual? If you ask Postacoglu what he thinks about a player, he gives you a really clear view about him. Look, he's not going to slate the players he doesn't really want, but you can tell the ones he really likes. And he was like that with Saar. Spoke about Saar, he just he loves him. He loves everything about his technical ability, about the way he plays. He fits him so well. Um, and this was a good thing about Postacoglu is we, we got the opportunity to sit down with him for 45 minutes, almost an hour. And it was really lovely because obviously you and I have done all of this research on him. We've listened to every podcast. We've read every bit of material on him. We've watched every documentary, YouTube video, everything you can on Postacoglu. So to actually sit down for almost an hour with him and just listen to him and the way he talks, he's such a brilliant communicator. Um, I had a little chat with him about the whole minute thing and not speaking to players for a minute. And he was quite interested on that because he kind of said, yeah, he said, it's kind of true. It's kind of not. He said, it's it's true to a degree that with players, I just let them kind of crack on with it. I let the coaches do a lot of talking to them. But if they've got problems or issues, they can come to me. They know we can have a chat about stuff. But what he did say is he hates small talk. So I'd watched just before we'd sat down uh, for this big kind of interview, I'd watched him do a Q&A session, uh, like a breakfast with Ange thing. And he admitted afterwards, the 45 minutes he was up on the stage answering questions, no issues whatsoever. The 45 minutes to an hour before that, he had to sit at a breakfast table talking to other people. He hated it. He said, I just can't sit there and just think of things to say. I just don't like it. I'm not comfortable in those situations. So I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Um, and we were talking to all the players in the various interviews and they all said the same thing. He doesn't talk to you for long, but what he says just makes this really good impact and you know what you need to do. And I think that will be the case with a lot of these players. I think you'll see Saar now. He'll, he was very... I mean, we've already seen his technical ability. is terrific. And I think now within a system and he knows exactly what he's doing and is less restrictions on what he needs to do as well, and that's the beauty of Saar. Being versatile, the, the, the eight role in the Postacoglu system suits him really well because it's a box-to-box role. It's got elements of defending, but it's also got elements of supporting the striker. Um, yes, his, his shots from distance has to get a bit better. Although I think one clipped the crossbar, eventually started to get there, and obviously won the penalty as well uh, with his attacking movement. So yeah, I think he'll have a big part to play. Um, and that was a good thing as well. You were able to ask Postacoglu who's got a part of your plans or has is a part of your plans. And if he used that word absolutely, you know they're in there. Um, and Saar was one. And Lacelso, you know, we spoke about him as well. Lacelso had a terrific tour. Um, really, really good tour. He'll... Uh, it's one of these... You and I have spoken about this so many times of how he's terrific in a midfield three for Argentina. So we couldn't really understand why he wasn't like 
especially under Conte, he just never really gelled with Conte. It just didn't seem like two characters that got each other. And with Postacoglu, it feels like he's come back and just found the right manager for him suddenly. Um, and for Daniel Levy, Daniel Levy must be rubbing his hands in glee because it's like a player that they've spent, what, in all? I think it was almost approaching 55 million, 60 million when you add in all the loan fees and the fees that they had to pay. So to suddenly get a second life out of him could be huge for Spurs because uh, we all spoke about, you know, if Hoybier goes, who would they sign? Maybe it's Lacelso. Maybe they don't need to sign that kind of player. Maybe they can sign a different kind of player uh, for the midfield or they can put the money towards the defence. Because, yeah, if Lacelso comes in and suddenly becomes a, a serious option in that three, and I asked about it, he likes a wisecrack, does Ange, because um, I noticed that there were reports in Spain saying that he'd already told Lacelso he was staying, Postacoglu. So I said to him, you know, so Ange, you know, there's a... Uh, Reports in Spain that you're uh, you've already told Lacelso that he wants to st- uh, that you want him to stay and he's going to be a big part of your plans next season. He was like, "You don't have to go all the way to Spain, mate. I'm right here. Just ask me now." And it's like, oh, "Okay, this is this is going to be the way we're going to deal with it now." Although I like the fact that he feels we're at this stage already where he can have a bit of a laugh. Um, and then he just went on to say that yeah, he's uh, he really just loves the way Lacelso plays. He he fits his system perfectly. And he felt that Lacelso really enjoys the way they're playing as well. And that's a key thing. And Lacelso's different behind the scenes as well, from what I understand. We could see it. We could see he's a very happy guy. But I think before he was maybe a quieter character, someone that would mainly stick to that Argentine group they used to have with Foyth and Gazaniga, and obviously when Romero came along as well. Um but I feel like now he's naturally, I think, just grown up and matured. The years have done that. He's 27 years old now. He became a dad for the first time. I think it was October or November last year to, I think it was a little girl. Um, And he's come back and he's just involved with everyone. He's a much kind of more uh, rounded character, very eager to please. And that goes a long way, I think, especially when you've got a new manager to impress. Um, And yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens with Lacelso now because I don't think we've ever doubted his quality. I think there's some people have kind of Spurs fans maybe don't think he's got the quality, but I think quality-wise he's always had it. It's been more about consistency, injuries always also being an issue, and just adapting, I guess, to the the coach's system. And now you've got a manager who plays exactly the kind of football he likes. So, yeah. I thought he's done very well. I thought Saad did very well on tour. Like you say, James Madison, I thought really settled in very quickly. Um, he's going to get a lot of goals and assists this summer, as long as long uh, sorry, season, as long as he can stay fit. I thought Doggy was another one who did really well, scored a lovely goal, set up, came for a massive chance against Sailors uh, as well, Lion City. Um, and also a very interesting character. We spoke to him. He's a young man, but very... Uh, very kind of knowledgeable about life already. I think just the way his kind of career has gone, his life and very good English as well, because that's the first language in his house um, that his parents speak as well. So yeah, there's quite a few people that did come out of the tour with some credit. I think Mana Solomon, I think another one, I thought I was really impressed with the way he played. Um, And also my issue with him beforehand, not issue, but something he needed to improve on was going to be his assists and his setting up others. Because the first game, I definitely noticed he likes to cut inside and shoot a lot, whereas he would have to kind of improve the other aspect. But technically, albeit deflected, he set up Lo Celso's goal. 
um, against Lion City. And just his dribbling and his his way of... I, I hate to do the Lucas Moura comparison because it is digging out Lucas after he's gone. But with Lucas, we already said, always said it. He would go past one or two players and he would lose the ball. Whereas with Solomon, it doesn't feel like he's just going to be head down and run into people. It feels like there's a purpose to his dribbling. Um, and he'll know the right moment to stop it and pass and look up or shoot or whatever. Um, so, yeah, he's a good. Vicario, it's been quite tough to judge. I feel like Vicario, he's only had a couple of shots to deal with. He, the goals he conceded were very much close range ones. I don't know if he could have done too much about them. Made a good save from Bowen in the West Ham game. Um, commanding guy, good character. Again, another really good interview. Look that one up on London if you haven't already. He's very, very interesting guy. Uh, nicknamed Venom, which he explains why in the interview. Um, i trying to think who else has stood out, really. Perisic. Perisic's been Perisic. fantastic. Yes, Perisic looks really sharp. I don't know whether he'll still stick around. We'll see. But I don't think he would be the worst in the Postacoglu system at all. I think as a winger, I think he'd be absolutely fine. And his delivery is so good. He just racks up the assists without you even kind of realizing he's done it. Um, I thought he was very good. I thought Skippy and Hoybier had reasonable tours. I mean, for Skippy, the main thing was coming back early, made a massive impression on Postacoglu. He admitted he was like, I didn't put the pressure on him to do that. It very much was his choice. We wanted him to kind of enjoy his victory at the under-21s, the Euros. But him coming back, yeah, I admit, I really like that, he said. Um, and that's kind of it, though, isn't it? Unless I've forgotten someone really obvious. I don't think there's anyone else. Ben Davies had that moment against Lion City when he gave the ball away, so he kind of fluffed a bit, so he didn't probably do himself any favours there. Richarlison, obviously, with a hat-trick was big for him, albeit again against Lion City Sailors. Uh, Kane probably wasn't as sharp as you'd want him to be yet, but then it's pre-season. I guess not everyone's going to be that sharp. Uh, Kuliseski was okay in bits. I don't think he was at his best best, but I do think the Postacoglu system will work quite well for him. Alfie Devine. Alfie Devine had a very good half against West Ham. I had a good interview with Harry, uh, with Harry, with a wish, <laughs> with, with Alfie Devine. Uh, check that out. That's on Football London as well. He's going to be a player he is going to be some player Alfie Devine the fact that he is mainly really a central attacking midfielder and at late notice on the morning of the match he was asked if he could play right wing because they wanted to just shuffle things around a little bit on the day and he was one of Spurs most dangerous players in that half in the way he kind of got down the right it was his shot that set up uh, that led to the second goal was it, it was the corner uh, for Perisic for a doggy to head in so, yeah, keep an eye on Divine. I think it'll be interesting to see now whether he goes on loan or not. Personally, I think I would loan him out still. I think he needs that. And then there were some frustrations, of course, which we'll speak about. Various players that didn't get the chance. But um, there was enough positives that you could drill deep into what was a mess of a tour in terms of the Kane stuff, the Reindorf match, the Lion City Sailors being a late-drafted in opposition uh, that you can just about get enough out of he worked the players hard so hard that i think that's why they've had a couple of days off until they returned yesterday time uh what do you call it jet lag and 
the fact that he'd absolutely destroyed a poor Bazuma, almost like <laughs> fell, a, fell on the pitch after he made them do uh, pitch-long runs. It was very Conte-like after the first half. Um, yeah, enough positives in there. Yeah, I think one of the main positives for me, I think what I saw from the Line City Sailors game, I think there's a really good partnership developing down the left already. Spurs, if this, you know, Vanger's football philosophy, you know, clicks into gear, Spurs could be lethal down the left with uh, Destiny a Doggy, uh, Son Hyung Min, and then James Madison, who was playing as the left-sided number eight. I mean, a Doggy and Madison linked up really uh, well early on for a chance for Kane, uh, what he hit wide, and then there was a couple more opportunities where a Doggy and Son we're linking up and the fact that if Madison is going to be that left-sided player, then he's going to come in and team up with Udogi, uh, you know, make the quick passes, just working in triangles between the three of them. I think that's going to be something that's uh, a really, really big success for Tottenham. And yeah, I thought Madison was really good in the City Sailors game. Unlucky not to score had then one curling effort, what, keep a tip wide, a couple what went wide at the target and then to be honest, he really should have scored just before half time when he was in space. But he also impressed in terms of uh, an, a creative sense as well. There was a really good run from uh, the player and put a ball across the face of goal that was cut out by one of the defenders with Son lurking at the back post. I think I agree with you. I think Madison's gone to score and assist quite a lot this season. Perisic's really impressed me uh, on this tour. I think. First season at Spurs, I was a bit disappointed in him. I think the amount of assists he got, I think it was 12 in all competitions, probably masked over what was a bit of a disappointing season because he'd always impressed and scored a boatload for Inter Milan by Munich when he was there as well. But that didn't really happen for him. Uh, but I think a player of his age, maybe coming to the Premier League when he's towards the back end of his career he's going to take him a bit of time to you know adapt to the pace and intensity of the league and I think you saw towards the end of the season most notably the Bournemouth and Liverpool games he started to look more like his old self and I think moving to uh, a winger his natural position that's going to help him in the Postacoglu team but it's whether or not Ange thinks there's a future for him and whether Perisic as well wants to move on. And I mean, that'll become clear over the coming weeks. But I think if he wants to stick about at Tottenham, it can be a very good option for the club. But then what does that mean for Brian Gill, who who missed out on the side with a back injury? I mean, that's could prove costly to him, uh, really. And then, I mean, other positives as well. Lacelso I thought, was fantastic. He's certainly given Postacoglu food for thought going forward. I'd like to see him start now in this Shakhtar game coming up on Sunday. And then uh, Richarlison as well, getting his hat-trick. I know you say it's only against Line City Sailors. But, <laughs> I mean... He's for him, the Sailors. Yeah, coming off such a awful season for him, really. Three separate injuries kept him on the sidelines. There was times when he should have been playing when Antonio Conte didn't give him the minutes, but at least he was in the right position at the right times to score. And that will give him a confidence boost. He said after the game on Spurs play, basically he thinks it's going to be a big season for him. So hopefully that is the case. I know he missed a couple of chances against uh, West Ham that he probably should have scored, but the worry for me would have been if he wasn't in that position for the chances. So he, he was in the position 
he did manage to take him against Lion City and then hopefully there's a few more to come from him. Uh, I think there's a number of positives for Postacoglu to take from the tour. I think it would have been nicer uh, if that Leicester game did go ahead and if Roma didn't cancel the plans. But yeah, I think he can take positives. Yeah, God, I just remembered that um, that Leicester game. So if people aren't aware, guess you and I for every game run a live match blog. So for anyone that can't watch it or listen to it, they can read our updates and everything from every kind of moment of the game. Guessy and I essentially ended up doing a weather blog <laughs> for that Leicester game. And our blog, our match blogs are always very well viewed and everything. I don't think it's unfair to say that blog was probably the most read live match blog we'd done in a long, long time. And it was for a match that never happened <laughs> because people were so kind of desperate to know what the latest, like what's happening on the pitch or the, the inspection going on and stuff like that. It was just crazy. And there was a moment when, because Spurs took their own groundsmen out to uh, on the tour as well. They can help um, the places where they're doing their training. They can help where the matches are. And there was one moment when he walked onto the pitch and there was this problem area on the edge of the penalty area. And he went over to it, dropped the ball and the ball just went... Pfft. And just stopped on the ground. It didn't bounce. It didn't move. And it was just like, there was that moment we were like, yeah, this this isn't happening. And some of the uh, Thai journalists around us were like, oh, no, no, that'll be fine. And to be fair, it cleared up a lot, the pitch. But yeah, still no way was that ever going to be played. And that, like you say, that would have been another massive help to Postacoglu just to get another match situation, especially against Leicester with that kind of... <sighs> Not obviously not Premier League anymore, but very recently Premier League kind of feel to the game and the tempo. Um, because, you know, in the other two games, they had 600-plus passes in each of them. And there was definitely a different style of football. You could see it quite clearly. And real emphasis on low crosses into the box. I wrote this in one of my pieces the other day, that in training, I noticed it as well. In training, they were doing these drills where the 11 who would start the game would take on the 11 who would be in the second half. Um, and what they would do is that the attacking 11 would go into the box. And as soon as they reached the 18-yard kind of area, the defensive team would stop. And the attacking team would be allowed to race to the byline, put the ball in low, and the striker would finish. And there was this real emphasis on getting the ball in low. Occasionally, there'd be the odd kind of high cross in a match. And also, in, with set pieces, are naturally going to do that. But I just thought it was fascinating that last year, Harry Kane was it the most headed goals in the season. And this coming season, I think you'll find that other than the odd cross, most crosses into the box are going to be flying in around their feet. I don't know whether it's some statistical thing. Is it maybe there's, well, you'd presume there's less chance of a ball reaching a person if it's put into the air. Um, does a low fast ball cause more problems and potential own goals as well? Um, I just thought it was really interesting that we're going to see this very different style of even crossing. Um, yet Perisic still managed to get two kind of high balls into the box and, and essentially that led to goals. Um, yeah, it's that was one of the biggest takeaways from the tour were the ability to speak to the players and Postacoglu, but also the ability to watch the training sessions at length. Because when we do European, if people don't know, when Gesty and I go and, uh, ahead of European matches, Spurs have to let us watch a bit of training, but essentially it's 15 minutes worth of warm-up stuff and drills and a bit of fitness work. Whereas it's a rondo. Who's... It's a rondo, yeah, isn't it, exactly. for 15 minutes. That's Absolutely. all it is. Absolutely. It's a rondo. 
Whereas when you go on these tours, you get to see an hour, hour and a half's training session and you see the full thing. You see what they work on. You see how they split into groups. You see a training match. And to get an insight into the Postacoglu way was huge. It was really interesting to see the way the coaches work. Uh, Chris Davies, a big voice there. Um, Mason Wells and Yedinak, big voices as well. Postacoglu, and a few of the players said this interestingly as well, and it's something I'd heard that in the open sessions, Postacoglu was more of a presence. He was more talking away in the middle, whereas actually in the normal training sessions on the training pitches, without the crowd there, he would more stand on the periphery and just kind of watch on, observe, take notes, and then go and say the odd thing. Whereas maybe he felt like with all the fans there, he needed to be seen as to be like really involved in taking the sessions. I thought that was fascinating. But then that's a lot of managers do that. Like, for instance, that famous Korean one um, when they all dropped down Spurs players and Harry Kane was sick and Sonny collapsed. From what we understand about that, that was more than what they normally do. That was a lot they felt was for show, was to show the crowd, look how, like Antonio Conte, look how I destroy my players. Look how you must be to be a Conte player. Um, and that's, I guess, what they do, isn't it? Is to kind of also create this narrative around them. But it's such a weird tour. It was manic. It was crazy. There was stuff going on at home. There was stuff going on there. Still one of the weirdest press conferences I've ever been in with the German reporter from Bild uh, just <laughs> randomly rustling around in his bag and pulling out a Spurs, sorry, a Bayern shirt with Kane on the back. And those immortal words that I must admit the rest of us in the press pack were constantly using afterwards. Looks good, no? It was just so weird. Um, and Postacoglu's reaction, which I actually think while the stunt went viral when he got what he wanted, that reporter, I actually think it did Postacoglu a load of good as well. I feel like Postacoglu came out of it in the Spurs fans' eyes quite well of just slapping him down a bit. And then even the next press conference, he turned to us all and went, you know, so uh, just should we get any show and tell out the way first kind of thing? And it was like, okay, I like it. Yeah, fair enough. We're going to lead into it. We're going to play with it a bit. And uh, yeah, I think there were enough positives to take from it for Postacoglu, but in his own words, still was not an ideal tour. It really wasn't. So are you going to a Wolfsburg press conference at some point with Van der Ven on the back of a shirt or <laughs> someone else? I saw people chucking me into uh, going to PSG and Mbappe with a Spurs shirt. <laughs> I, think, I think that dream died the moment we saw that a Saudi club had uh, bid 300 million from Mbappe. <laughs> yeah, I think Spurs might have gone... Okay, we can get you a trip up the Skywalk. Um, we can throw in uh, a couple of photos with Chirpy, um, maybe some key rings and £20 million. So, yeah, I don't think there was any point in me <laughs> heading across to Paris to uh, stick Mbappe on a spur shirt. But oh, I don't want to do any other reporter down. I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone, but that's just not my kind of journalism. I just... It's not journalism. It was a publicity stunt. It was uh, getting his and his publication's name into the glare, I guess. And it worked because we all wrote about it. I'm talking about it now, a week later or so. Um, but yeah, it's not. It's not my bag. That's not my, uh, definitely wasn't my bag. It was more the fact that he was sat right in front of me as well. And I, every time I asked questions, he would ask the next one. So Madison, I asked two or three questions and he asked Madison, so, like, you know, would you like the number 10 shirt? I was like, oh, 
Yes, yes. Subtle, mate. Yeah. Yeah, nice one. And then after I asked the Postacoga questions, then he started to ask, I think he firstly asked, has there been any change in the situation? Which Postacoga was like, no, it's been two days, mate. And then then he goes rustling in the bag and none of us knew what was coming. I think we were just all stunned. If there's footage from it, you've probably got me gasping and then shaking my head in just disbelief afterwards. There's a laugh from somewhere. I've heard a bit of clip and there's a laugh from somewhere, but I don't know who does it. Um, it sounds like it came from behind us because it was a crazy press conference as well. There was loads of just uh, like YouTuber types in there and and influencers. There were people in spur shirts, son shirts, and they were all ahead of us. We're kind of like the... the oh, this sounds so awful to say that the actual journalists but the actual the, the uk journalists had made the trip we're sat right at the back so we we're having to shout our questions to madison and postacoglu because there were all these people that were sitting there not ans- asking anything they were just there kind of recording on their phones and every time we'd ask a question they'd whip around and video us it was very uh disconcerting but uh just a crazy tour still i'm honestly i'm still recovering i, I need this week off Although obviously uh, we're we're recording this podcast, but this is a way to just vent and knack me out more. As well as uh, a number of positives, I think there's negatives to talk about as well, and that's in terms of you know the players who really didn't get a chance on on the tour. Uh, obviously, a couple of those to do with injuries. Obviously, Jed Spence working his way back to fitness after that was it ankle injury he had. Uh, end of May, June time, Tangy and the Belly didn't play. Well, Davinson Sanchez played the first game, but then was left out of the match they squad for the last two games. Joe Roden, not involved at all. Uh, in terms of Joe, uh, I was having a look back. I don't think he's ever had a pre-season in terms of featuring in games. Uh, that his first one was... Got COVID, didn't he, under Nuno? Well, in, I remember that, yeah. In 2021, uh He'd arrived back late because of Euros. And the, the, he only came off the bench against Arsenal in that home friendly. The year after, I think he was set to travel, wasn't he, to South Korea and then found out on the day he wasn't going. Mm. Came on for like 20 minutes at Rangers, then was absent from the Romy game in Israel because uh, he was joining Wren. And then this one, he's been on the tour, but just not played. Just rotten luck, really, for him. Yeah, I mean, there's different ones. Like you say, Jed Spence thing was a knee injury, wasn't it, that kind of ended his yeah. Ren time. Um, he was a bit touch and go whether he was even going to come on this tour. I think yeah. it was only in a few days before that he got his fitness back. So I can kind of see why he didn't play a part. And to be honest, I don't think he's going to break past no. Poro and Emerson anyway this season. I think he'll head out again. Um, yeah, Joe Roden, it's clearly, he's just not. Unfortunately, I don't think he's just not rated by Postacoglu, but otherwise he would have had a chance. He was always, even in the training sessions, there'd be the odd one he'd join in the 11 versus 11, but mostly the ones we saw, he was training with a little group of, sounds awful to say, but we called them the bomb squad because they were the players that we knew weren't going to be used. They were bombed out. They weren't going to be used in the match the next day. Um, and Sanchez joined that little group he uh, played the first second 45 minutes, wasn't it, in the West Ham game. And other than some good little moments, obviously was part of the goal uh, that was conceded. So he then vanished. And obviously they had uh, uh, talk of a move 
Um, they accepted the bid from was it Spartak. Spartak, was it? yeah. Yes. Yeah. Always good to be uh, potentially accepting Russian money ahead of a friendly against the Ukrainian team, but <laughs> that's a whole other matter. Oh, Tottenham. But it's not a soap opera. It's not a soap opera. Remind yourselves that. Um, and who else did we have in that little group? Tongi. Tongi obviously had that ankle injury and then was part of that group for the rest of it, which I don't know whether that's a fitness thing or just the fact that he just lost, missed his chance, unfortunately. Um, and then he had Dane Scarlett missed out with, I'm trying to remember what his problem was now. Oh, I was told and I forgot what it was. Might have been his back. There were a few back injuries. Fraser Forster and Brian, Brian Gill. Hill were both yeah. back. You'd think Harry Kane would have a back injury because he'd been carrying Spurs for so many years, but it wasn't him. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't remember what Danes was. But obviously that was his chance pretty much ruined to try and show that he couldn't have any part to play. Troy Parrott had a groin problem that kept him out of the tour. Um, was there anyone else in that group that I've missed? I feel uh, like there was someone else. Harvey White was on Harvey the White. bench for yeah. the first one, but I don't think he was in for the Leicester yeah. and Sailors game. That's the one. Yeah, he was yeah. playing at left back in the training sessions. Um, and yeah, there's just too much competition for Harvey White to get past it at the moment. He needs to probably... I would. I like Harvey White. I think he's a good player. I think he's very technically excellent and set pieces are brilliant, versatile. But I would say for his sake, it's probably the time to actually head off this summer uh, for his own good, just to start that professional career properly. Um, obviously, he was at Derby, wasn't he, last year? Being at Portsmouth on loan before as well. Yeah, I think it's time for him to go out there and be the very good footballer I think he'll be able to be. Um, who knows how high he can go? Uh, but yeah, that was for them, it wasn't a great tour. Um, you didn't learn much about them. Maybe Postacoglu did. Maybe that's why he didn't play them. But uh you would imagine now they'll start to, well, they've got to start at some point getting this squad down from 37 players or so it is in all. I know a few of those are academy, but they've got to whittle it down to something approaching 25. Um, and I mean, Hugo Lloris is still at the club. <laughs> How has that happened? They went on tour two weeks ago and there still hasn't been a way of getting him the move that he's after. Uh, you know, I'm intrigued to see where he goes. A Saudi club's looking to sign him. Does he go back to Nice? Does he join the MLS kind of revolution that's going on with uh, Messi there? That was actually, it reminds me. Someone said, going back to Kane briefly, someone said to me on my point about Kane and the Bundesliga and it maybe not being the level he needs to be at uh, while the Champions League is, of course. The Bundesliga maybe isn't the level. And they said, oh, you can't say that because it does, if you're a top player, it doesn't matter where you are. Just look at Messi in MLS. I was like, well, it doesn't really work like that, does it? Because Messi, the incredible player he was, and I'm sure he could have been an incredible player anywhere, but he was playing for Barcelona for, what, a decade or so? <laughs> he wasn't one of the highest profile clubs in the world as well. Whereas for Kane, I think it was a logical idea was that wherever he went next would only further increase his exposure. Whereas I feel like that's not the case. But um, yeah, we're intrigued to see where, where Lloris goes next. Um, and... Yeah, the, the, Romero said some nice stuff about Hugo Lloris, actually. If you read the interview with him, he spoke about Lloris and how sad he was that if the Newcastle game ends up being Lloris's last kind of uh, involvement because it was awful. Um, but yeah, no, I'm intrigued to see what happens. There needs to be movement. This needs to be a week where we start to seeing 
not only players come in, but a lot of players are going to start have to head out the door. I know that's dependent on who wants them, but I don't think Spurs can hold out for the prices they're clearly looking for. I bet they're sitting there thinking, why aren't the Saudi clubs coming for our players? <laughs> Again, that's maybe another damning indictment of their transfer business. That even, you know, the ridiculous amount of transfers going to the Saudi league right now, no one's coming in for Spurs players. Uh, albeit, apart from Kane and Son, I'm sure they would love over there. But I think everyone's in a similar situation as well. Arteta mentioned after one of their games last week in America that They've got a squad of 30 players and obviously they need to whistle it down. Pochettino said the same as well at Chelsea. I think he might have had 29, 30 players on this tour of America and then got another handful uh, back at Cobham. Spurs, 36, well, 30, 37 if you want to include Josh Keeley. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not manageable. For Posta yeah. Coglu, when he wants well, to Josh do... Keeley, <laughs> the squad the squad <laughs> poor Josh he's going to be just, a good keeper by the way he's good yeah, yeah. Keeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah and he might get the chance to step up depending on this injury for Alfie Whiteman he yeah, might be third choice but yeah in terms of training is how can you train with you know 30 plus players I know yeah, obviously some won't be training at the moment because of injuries but I suppose the problem for Tottenham is if you're trying to sell players who have struggled over the past few years, there's not going to be many takers for them. And it could be like the end of last August where your players like your Don Belly, your La Celso, your Regions, Winks, who were viewed as potential permanent exits, just couldn't get them. And in the end, had to go out and learn. So, yeah, Spurs need to get movement in terms of outgoings. I mean, incomings in terms of defence absolutely crucial and potentially new striker if Harry Kane goes but outgoings as well just as important in terms of just going back to the talk quickly I know you mentioned the Romero interview there was a really really good one as well with Eric Dyer who was asked about Deli Ali his good friend and safe to say uh, I mean Eric was in tears wasn't he uh, discussing his good friend yeah we um there were some interviews on the tour that kind of just stood above others. Um, that's not to say there were any bad ones. They were all really interesting in their own right. But I'd say Romero, in terms of the honesty, talking about the split in the camp under Conte, talking about his own future. Um, he was very, very clear on wanting to be at Spurs. And also the claims about motivation and or lack of and, and wanting to play for Argentina more. And he slammed down those claims. And then, yes, there was Eric Dyer, who... The way it works out there is that we would all split into um, different... Uh, sometimes we'd interview a player as a group. Sometimes we would split into twos and threes because often at these events, you had two or three players and you would have to do these interviews simultaneously. So you'd have to split up. So the... Funny enough, it's the event that I was talking about with Harry Kane earlier in Singapore with the children was where Alfie Devine and Eric Dyer were up for interview. So there were only two of us there. It was myself and Tom Barkley from The Sun. And Tom went off to do Eric Dyer at the same time as in another room I was speaking to Alfie Devine. Obviously, Alfie Devine, lovely interview. Only 18, but a very good talker. Honestly, I'd look at it on Football London. It's very good. But Tom's interview with Eric Dyer was one of those interviews that comes around very rarely. Um, it's, you know, it was the first chance really for Eric Dyer to open up and talk about the Deli Ali interview to really discuss what we'd all seen 
but also his part in it all because Delhi mentioned him in it that you know he was one of the people that he could always rely on and you know it's one of the most oh you know because what happened was Tom came straight out and played me the entire audio so I could get a sense of the interview as well because obviously I knew I was gonna have to write about it I had to imagine myself in the position he was in there as well and he dealt very well with it he kind of obviously made Eric Dyer comfortable enough that he could open up and, and, and discuss his emotions he had. And and Eric Dyer was just, he didn't, he wasn't aware of some of the awful things that Delhi went through when he was younger. Even his closest friends, Delhi didn't tell. So there was this sense with Eric that he felt he could have done more. Um, and then he kind of told this really heartbreaking story about how when recently Delhi had, obviously we know had gone to rehab to, to kind of improve his mental health. And Eric had sent him a message because it was his wedding. And he was saying like, you know, and it was kind of like almost, I understand if you can't be there. Um, And he said, and this kind of made him cry again because he was thinking about how Delhi was so insulted by that. He was so insulted by the suggestion that he wouldn't be at one of his best friend in the world's weddings. And that, that people thought he was at that bad a place that in kind of, I guess, mentally and also in the state he was in with other things that he wouldn't be there. Um, and it was just, honestly, I, I can't do it any justice by talking about it. Please do have a read of it um, because we forget sometimes that footballers are human beings. We do. We see them as characters on a TV screen or a computer game and we forget just their people um, and what they go through. And there's actually, there's more to come from Eric Dyer on more the Tottenham side of things. And that's to come maybe next week. Um, but yeah, it's some people did the the replies that we'd expect social media to bring up the, the kind of unpleasant. I've still got to have my say about how he is as a footballer. I'm refusing to acknowledge anything else exists in the world, which is such a shame because I think you're missing out on really, seeing and understanding uh, a really kind of intense look into friendship and, and the relationships that exist in football and also between, I guess, young men in the game when they're struggling and how they deal with it. Um, but I did think the actual general overall reaction to it was really good and was really interesting and, and people showing a lot of empathy for, for both men as well and, and the way they've had to deal with it. So, yeah, no, please please do look them up. They're uh, they're very interesting, not so because nothing to do with my writing, purely because of the subjects and the people speaking. Right, there's one more thing we need to talk about before you head off in ten minutes or so, Ali. And obviously, last week there was reports coming out in the media of uh, Joe Lewis, the former Tottenham owner, uh, telling Daniel Levy he needs to sell Harry Kane this summer. Obviously, I think a lot of people questioned it given. Joe Lewis is publicity shy, to say the least. Uh, there's not, very little comes from uh, Joe Lewis. I mean, you've done the piece before and what he's said in the media, what people have said, and there's basically <laughs> next to nothing. And then the following day, uh, I think it was, or uh, another day after that, uh, he was in the headlines himself. Uh, quite a big story, to say the least. Honestly, because it was in the middle of the night in uh where were we at that point that was singapore wasn't it and everyone on the tour myself included woke up and just saw like ding 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 ding, ding like all of these messages that had just gone crazy on the phone um yeah i must admit when we saw those original stories about he like joe lewis had told spurs what they had to do it was like 
<laughs> it was a bit strange because anyone kind of has kind of been around that situation, no, or not been around that situation, but has kind of spoken to people who have been involved with Joe Lewis over the years is kind of, he was never that kind of fussed on, on pitch stuff. That was never really anything he had much to do with. There would be the odd thing maybe that he would get involved with. It mainly would be off the pitch stuff. Um, and sometimes you'd have players that would go and see him or they'd stay at places. I think Harry Kane stays, I think, quite a lot at one of his places. Is it in the Bahamas? I think somewhere like that. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit strange. And then to suddenly wake up to this news that, uh, yes, I want to get the exact details of this right because, my goodness, in, in essence, the United States Attorney's Office and the FBI have declared war on Joe Lewis. Um, so if anyone has been living in a cave and not aware who Joe Lewis is, he's a very, very rich man worth £4.7 billion, according to Forbes. He's the 425th richest man in the world. And he also happened to be the former, we've got to put it there, owner of Tottenham Hotspur because he owned the Tavistock Group, which owned Enoch, which in turn owned Spurs. So, yeah, in essence, follow the path, and he was up there at the top. But Spur, uh, Spurs, the uh, in the US, they have decided that... Um, well, here it is. I mean, he's been charged with 13 counts of securities fraud, which carry a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. Three other counts of securities fraud, which carry a maximum sentence of 25 years in prison. And then three counts of conspiracy, each uh, carries a maximum sentence of five years. So what they're essentially saying is they're claiming that he orchestrated, in their words, the US attorney Damian Williams, a brazen insider trading scheme. We allege that for years, Joe Lewis, this isn't us, this is Damien Williams. <laughs> we allege that for years, Joe Lewis abused his success to corporate boardrooms and repeatedly provided inside information to his romantic partners, personal assistants, private pilots, and his friends. And those folks then traded on their inside information and made millions of dollars in the stock market. It's just, honestly, I can't believe that they didn't appreciate the word soap opera because that is, cl- that is right out of some kind of TV show. That just suddenly this guy has been doing all, of, or sorry, is alleged to have done these things um, and just happened to be the former owner of Tottenham Hotspur. So Spurs have very, very clearly distanced themselves, said he's no longer the owner. And to be fair, we did report back in October last year that documents had been filed uh, that uh, he was no longer a person of significant control. It had moved into a family trust of which he was no beneficiary. There were two officers that were taking it on as well for the trust. Um, and yeah, it was it was quite interesting because back at the time, the club, what, everything that was coming out of the club was very much like, well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a family trust restructure, but actually it kind of, yes, it's continued to be owned by him and his family trust. Whereas now, whoa, not a chance. That 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 apparently over the, the months has changed completely. And now very much, uh, I think this is the best way to put it, is, is this statement. So the owner of Tottenham remains Enoch, but with majority control held by a family discretionary trust of which Lewis is not a beneficiary, although members of his family are. So the trust owns Enoch, which owns a majority of Spurs, but not actually Lewis. He has no financial tie anymore to Spurs um, and apparently because of that it's, the Premier League's got no issues with it because he's not someone that can be an owner and pass any fit and proper test all this sort of stuff because he's not involved but yeah it's just it's just amazing stuff it really is I mean even like we 
Gessie and I know the frustration of trying to find a photo of Joe Lewis because so few exist. And then suddenly he rocks up outside of Manhattan court the other day and there's about 30 photos of him now suddenly exist. I think we had about three to work with previously and he was granted £230 million bail. I've seen people joking already that, you know, <laughs> he's got a better defence than Spurs have and all this sort of stuff and think what £230 million could do for Spurs. And I mean, to be fair, it's, it's, people see Joe Lewis, I think it's always been seen as the owner of Spurs, even in the past, whereas I always kind of, I saw it as he was a guy that owned a company that owned a company that happened to own Spurs. I never saw that direct link that other people did. Um, so maybe I kind of was able to get less frustrated at the fact that there was a very rich guy at the very top who wasn't spending a lot on Spurs. I mean, I think he spent more on his art collection than he ever spent personally on Spurs. I think his art collection is worth like a billion or something, someone said. It's incredible. It's got like Picasso and all these kind of things. Um, so yeah, whether it has any impact on Spurs going forward and a sale, if Enoch feel that they need to get out of the club, I don't know. I don't think we can even ascertain if it has any impact at this moment in time. Um, we'll obviously have to we'll wait to see what happens in the background with that. Um yeah, it's just it's just crazy. This is always something happening at Tottenham. I just I mean it keeps you and I doing these podcasts and writing all of our stuff, but my goodness, what a club. What a club. Yeah, I'm sure next week as well there'll be even more to talk about. I mean, next week's pod will be discussing the Shakhtar the next game. Things could become a lot clearer in terms of Harry Kane's future. Could we see players coming in through the door? Could the number of these 36 players at the club be on the way? Uh, there's so much to do. And opening Premier League game of the season, only 13 days away now. So, yeah, Daniel Levy and Tottenham really need to get moving uh, in the transfer market. So, as ever, thank you for listening in to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. And we'll be back next week. So, as ever, just keep with us at football.london for your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.